Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and I'm usually the host on the episodes that we do, but today, Mike Simmons is going to be the host. So I know you guys heard Mike just a couple days ago, but today he's going to interview me about a house that, um, that I flipped that was um, a challenge for me and that I ended up getting sued about. So uh, hopefully that's enough to draw you guys into the podcast today, but we're going to talk through all the struggles, all the problems, all the issues, things that went right, things that went wrong, and what that was like. So mediation, getting sued, um, uh, WDO inspections, uh, all kinds of different stuff, crazy buyers, lots of problems. Um, and this is going to be real and authentic and what's really going on behind the scenes and not just the stuff that uh, is really exciting or making tons and tons of money. So stay tuned, buckle in, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast where Mike Simmons takes over and interviews me about some of my uh, negative experiences in house flipping. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. All right, Bill. This is interesting and fun. I'm on somebody else's podcast. I don't normally get to do this. Um, and I'm going to make the best of it. Matter of fact, I'm going to class this thing up a little bit today. So I'll be interviewing you, which is a little switch here. I, they used to do it back in the old Carson days. I think they would have hosts come on and interview Johnny Carson would be the interviewee. Um, and we're going to talk today about uh, a, a deal that you did a few years back. It's kind of a nightmare. And we, we always talk about you know, different deals that happen. But in this group, we're so transparent and we're so real and that's the goal that we're going to talk about a little bit more of a painful deal that you did. This wasn't, this isn't a success story, guys. So if, if that's what you're here for, uh, but this is real, this is real life stuff that can happen. So um, I want to dig into it. It's a very, very, very interesting uh, situation. I've never had anything like this. I flipped for six years and never went through all of the things that you're going to go through and you're going to touch on some stuff that, people don't realize necessarily, but they should realize when they're flipping houses, things can happen. So um, let's start off, let's go back uh, and let's talk about this specific flip is what we're talking about. It's a flip deal that you did. Um, let's start at the beginning, maybe even go back to how, just quickly, how you found it and got it under contract, but just some of the logistics around that beginning part, and then we'll get into the meat of it. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, being compared to Johnny Carson is probably a really good thing. So thank you for that. Uh, that's a, probably the best compliment I'll get all day today. Oh, and yeah. um, so th this deal, this was, you know, I was in Pensacola and let's say I, I had to go back to the archives. So I'm looking down here because I want to see my notes, but I bought this house in January of 2017. So I started like kind of the end of 2015, 2016 was my first year. So I'm about a year in, I'd done maybe 60 or 70 deals at this point and starting to get comfortable. I still lived in Pensacola and this was a bigger house. This is one of the like biggest houses that we would have bought and kind of size wise and cost wise. So when I was running these numbers, I saw big dollar signs in, in my, my eyes when I was looking at this house. Uh, it came to us on direct mail. I remember the, um, the family's uh, son had passed away um, in the last like year. So they, it just, they just attached this house to like his, his life, you know? And I think it, their son was, was young. Like, I mean, like 15, 16 years old, something like that. Um, yeah. I didn't perfect. I didn't personally do the deal. I wasn't the acquisitions rep or the, 
the phone rep or anything. This, at this point, I had built my company out to have a lead intake, a salesperson, a transaction coordinator, and dispositions person. So I was raising money and I was managing the staff at this point. But right. I got the story. I understood it. And uh, I remember it was, it's on the bay. It's on Pensacola Bay. And it's a beautiful like view of the bay, a pool, um, a little dock and stuff like that. And all I remember of the story of the previous owner was that their, their son really liked to fish. And that, okay. and that held like really tough memories for them. So they wanted to move away from this, this memory. Okay. So, so real quick, you mentioned you had already built your team out. You had acquisitions and all, all those different parts of your, your company built out. So how, how much of this deal were you aware of before or as you were buying it? Did you see the house? Did you kind of have any involvement or was this your kind of your team running the show at that point? Yeah. Uh, this, so this, since this one was so expensive, I did go to this house. Uh, so um, when we were wholesaling it, I didn't. So as we were kind of, I didn't see it. I didn't, I, I was interested. I was still kind of like every deal that came through, I was interested in it. Right. I would look at it. I would, I would look at the pictures probably yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So I did that, but I didn't, I didn't like talk on the phone with the seller. I didn't go to the house. I, I had no involvement personally, but I always had an interest in it. Like, what are we going to price it yeah. for? And it's a, it's a higher end house. So I was doing a little bit more of the discussions with some of the buyers. It really limited at that point. Our buyers gotcha. list wasn't huge. Our average, our average wholesale fee was probably around six to $8,000. So this was definitely, we're biting off something bigger than we weren't sure about it, but. So that's we why it hit your radar because it was a little bit of a bigger deal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But at that point, to be perfectly honest with you, like everything was on my radar. Like I, yeah. I wasn't the person who, and a lot of yeah. people think like, oh, you know, Bill only works like an hour and a half, two hours in his company a week now. It's true. Right. But I was in, I was still like, I was still overseeing everything. Like I yeah. may have had some people that were helping me, but I was managing, I, I was still managing all the financials, every right. single dollar and cent that came in and left the company I was involved in. So I was definitely, I wasn't micromanaging the staff, but I was looking and I was, I was checking sure. for sure. And I had flipped like 15 houses at this point. So I knew that this is something that I could do. And I was actively flipping houses then. And I was the, I was the project manager at the time. So I was, if it was coming in, I was looking at it as a flip. So I analyzed it to okay, see if okay. it might be something that we want to flip to. Yep. And um, if we couldn't wholesale it, because we wanted to give these people a firm yes or no, right? So a lot of times people are going into these deals and saying, well, if we can't wholesale it, we'll just cancel the contract, right? Yeah, well, it's yeah. not really the way that we try to approach anything that we do. So I was looking at it like a flip and it was a great flip. Uh, to me, it looked it looked perfect for exactly what we needed to do. So, so what were the numbers, uh, Bill? What were the numbers back then when you were looking at this? Yeah. So we, we, uh, we had this house under contract for 350000 I thought it was worth somewhere in the low $600,000 fixed up, but okay. it, needed, it needed quite a bit of work. It was, okay. I was probably thinking it needed somewhere around $100,000 of work. So it was, it was a big house. There was a lot of uh, unfinished areas. It was in a flood zone. There was a lot of things that were kind of, you know, I wasn't so, it was kind of new to me and it was a heavy lift. It was a project that was like, yeah. you know, 3,800 square foot house. Yeah. So, and there was, you know, there's some th things about it that I really liked and there's, we could have gone crazy on the budget. We could have spent $200,000 on this house, but we yeah. couldn't spend less than like 80 or a hundred on it. It okay, was just, so it needed, needed a lot of work. Just for context, because I think this is going to be important later in the conversation. What did you think you were going to profit on this house once you renovated it and sold it? Well, I thought I was going to make over six figures. Like I, I was looking at, okay. uh, let's see, somewhere like 150 grand. 
was like, okay. that was like top. Like if we sold it for somewhere around there, like I thought, I thought worst case scenario, I was going to make like 80,000, $100,000. So that's, that was big dollar signs in my eyes. And for anybody that's listening, yep. like, the median home price in Pensacola at that time was like $150,000. So I'm talking about I, the yeah. profit that I'm going to make on this house is like bigger than anything that I've ever done before. That was yeah. my entire salary for the year that uh, flying for the Navy was like just over $100,000. So I saw big dollar signs and I didn't see any ways that I could lose money at $325,000 on this house. Really long, we got the house under contract when I was still in Pensacola. And I remember it took, they didn't want to close for like three or four months, get all their stuff out and things like that. So we, we put the house under contract before I left. I got all, I got everything set up. So we found out that we were going to buy it. That was the plan. We were going to renovate it. And I got the general contractor ready, walked through the house, and then we moved to Nashville. So one of the problems that that I faced, which I'm sure we'll get into, is that I was living, you know, six hours away from this house. Yeah. And so um, the, I would say the renovation went, there were a lot of things that came up that I wasn't expecting. And we definitely went over timeline and over budget, like way over timeline. And I would say we went significantly over budget. So it was, um, you know, there was constantly like the next thing, like, oh, if we really want to sell this house for 600 plus thousand dollars, we have to do this, or should I do this? You know, as you get into yeah. higher end homes and we can talk more about that, but it definitely didn't go as planned. I thought we'd be in and out of there and probably like, I wasn't very good at renovating houses, like three, four months. And we probably were in there for seven months fixing okay. this thing up, something like that. Um, you know, it was, it was definitely a, a, a challenge. Okay. So as you're going through this, my guess is you, you said you spent more than you meant to. Things come up, right? And then maybe you make decisions about finishes that maybe we should go a little higher end. It's a nice house. Was there anything about the house, anything in the house that you saw that you said, eh, or, you know, it, we should do it, but uh, I'm not going to do it. It's too much. Like, you know what I mean? Did you have to make any like judgment calls that you were uncomfortable with or is it like, Hey man, safety, safety first, but then like this, if this finish, we're not going to, we're not going to go with this crown, this crazy crown or like, were there any weird decisions that you had to make during the process? No, I mean, we pretty much, the only thing was the exterior of the house. So it was kind of question was like, do we paint the whole house? The outside of the house is going to be like, it's a big house. Uh, it's all wood exterior is gonna be another like twenty thirty thousand dollars probably to paint the exterior of this house, redo the deck, all that stuff. So yeah. it was just let's take care, let's make the inside just really like shine. The yeah. view will take care of it. It's right yeah. on the bay. The sun sets right there. It's beautiful, like absolutely beautiful. And so, yeah. um, so no, I mean ultimately we we I mean we spent probably like somewhere I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we spent over six figures on this house. Like we yeah. did it right. And I do we the same. The, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We put all the goods. I mean, we, we did, we did new floors. We did the only thing that we left the kitchen had been uh, renovated. It was a little noisy. It was a little busy. Like they did a busy glass uh, backsplash and stuff like that. It was all yeah. granite, stainless steel, stuff like that. So, um, now we, we did, we did it right. Like we, yeah. we definitely, anything that needed to be done, got done. And even the, we even upgraded a lot of stuff. We, we ripped out the entire master bathroom. The master suite was beautiful. It was amazing. I mean, um, I look at the pictures now and it's a really nice house. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I do the same thing. It's always more about the inside than the outside. And if I have to like maybe not do a new coat of paint or whatever, or you know, the, the outside sometimes is is where I'm not gonna choose to spend my money if I if I'm going all in on the inside. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get that uh, that perspective, and that's usually that, that's just what people you know the inside of the house is where they're gonna spend all their time. So you really need to you really need to focus on that part. So yeah, that makes that makes sense. And honestly. So for people who are listening and you say you did over a hundred thousand dollar renovation, right? If you're listening to this and you've never renovated a house and maybe you're just kind of new to the industry, 
we don't spend a hundred thousand dollars as investors the way that a cons- uh, way that like a retail person does. If you just Google a contractor, you can spend fifty thousand dollars in a kitchen where we might spend fifteen thousand or twenty thousand to get the exact same look because we're getting better pricing because we do this a little more often. So a hundred thousand dollars is more than a hundred thousand dollars to the average person in terms of what you would have to spend to get done what you did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was uh, we. We upgraded this house really nice. It was yeah. uh, it's a beautiful home. Uh, it did take longer, I'd say. I, you know, we used um, I used a general contractor, so I was paying a little bit more money. Again, I was not there, right? So I wasn't there. I wasn't checking on the property. I couldn't manage the subs. Um, so that, there's definitely some expense there that yep. kind of went over budget that I didn't like. But um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it, we did a good job. I was okay. happy with the finishes. I was happy with the end product, that kind of stuff. So, so all right, you got the house done, renovated, beautiful, went a little over budget, over, over timing, but okay. Um, put it on the market. How does it go? What's the market like? What'd you list it for? What, how did that process go? Yeah, so we listed it for 625000 So I was probably in this house like three fifty plus closing costs, plus a, call it $150,000 in renovations. So I'm somewhere over $500,000 in this house at this point, okay. right? Um, and maybe I I wish I had a renovation budget. We're probably a little bit lower. Like I'm still, I'm still making six figures in my head at this point. Like we're making a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So six twenty five we listed for, and it goes under contract like that, like immediately. Nice. That's a good sign. It was awesome. awesome. Like right away, first call, first appointment contract being written on the house for near asking price. And I don't want to give away too much of this other person's information, but um, they were a pilot, like a, a, mil- a previous military pilot now flying for the airlines. And so, and it was my realtor and uh, Brink also brought the buyer. So I was yeah. excited about that. Like that was nice. great, great for her, great for us. Uh, good deal, right? So yeah. that was, that was the, the good part about it. Perfect. All right. And that's the end guys. It went great. See you next time on uh, seven figure flipping. No, I'm just kidding. So you got under contract. Everything's great about the asking price you wanted good feelings. So what happened? Obviously we're not on this to say it closed. So what, what went down with this particular first offer on this house? Yeah. So, so for me at this point, if you're listening to this, you've never flipped a house or you flipped hundreds of houses, you know, that first offer comes in and you're right away. And I'm like cocky, confident, like, Oh man, we did an awesome job. We got like full asking price on the first day. I knew it. Like I'm the best. Right. And I'm I'm at that time in my career where And somebody said it the other day. It's like, it seems like everything that you touch turns to gold. Everything's perfect, right? And like, that's the point. That's, that's the mindset that I have at this point is like things are working. I just did, yeah. I went from doing one deal a year to 67 deals. And now we're on track to do 100 plus deals this year already. And yeah. everything's working, right? This is summertime. We're going into the summer. It's like May, June when this house goes under contract. Perfect time in Pensacola to sell a house and, and pretty much everywhere, right? Yeah. And so, um, so this buyer starts getting like really picky wants to schedule like all these inspections and all these things and doesn't understand and is, is constantly like complaining about stuff and having issues uh, throughout this process, right? So then the inspection report comes back and just like any inspection report, I look at it and I'm like, oh, this isn't that bad. Like there's a couple things on here that I need to take care of. No big deal. Um, we'll take care of it. And she's like freaking out that this is the worst house ever. Like I'm, I'm worried about all of these things. And you, you know, like the, the buyer who's almost like buying their first house who's yeah. seeing the inspection report thinking that it's like the worst house ever, right? right. The money pit. Right. And you're looking at it as a, as a rehabber going, it's like the best inspection report I've ever seen. It's <laughs> exactly. not, not bad at all. Yeah. Cause there's a hundred things that are $5. Of, you know what I mean? It's like nothing. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. and the, the inspector is just trying to, I, I don't know. So I feel like yeah. the inspectors, this inspector was like scaring her away from the yeah. house. So, so I just said, I said, look, you know, if this isn't the house for you, then it's not the house for you. No problem, right? At this point, I, I'm, they're starting to be a discussion of like, how much is it, are they willing to lower the price? Why did the price go up so much? Like, what did they actually do? Can I get a list of the renovation? All of this stuff. I was like, wow. look at the pictures from, yeah. from when we bought it and look at it now. Like we spent a lot of money. So I'm starting to feel this friction happening, right? And I started to get upset. I started to say like, all right, look, this house went under contract in one day. Yeah. It's now, it's, it's summer. Like people are still going to want this house. Like just let's move on. Let's find the yeah. next buyer. Yeah. And so I wasn't, I, I, did, she, I just got pushed and pushed and pushed till finally I was like, this isn't working. Like, um, and there's a whole lot to, more to that story um, with like, you know, the realtors having trouble getting a hold of her. She's, she feels like she's being pressured into this deal, stuff like that. I'm like, I'm wow. out of here. Okay. Wow. So we, so I said, okay, let's just cancel the contract. No big deal. Give her earnest money back. She spent the money on inspections and stuff like that. If she wants to go, she can go like it just abide by the contract and she canceled. We canceled. We went our separate ways and put it back on the market. And then it was like crickets for a while. And just out of curiosity, I just want to, I want to just put a fine point on it. The inspection report that she gave you scared her and there were th ticky tack things. Was there anything on there significant that was identified like major problem? Not really. Like I, I, I don't, I mean, this was like, this was like three years ago. Yeah. So if I had to, if I pulled it up, we could probably go through it, but I really don't think that there was a ton of stuff that, um, that should have really scared her. Um, okay. she did. So she did want to get a mold inspection. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, all right, it's like, it was like inspection after inspection, like each inspection caused another inspection. Yeah. So like there's an elevator in this house that doesn't work and has never worked when I got it and never works now. And it was like, yeah. let me get a bid to fix the elevator. Like how much is it going to cost to get the elevator? It's like, Hey, when we listed the elevator doesn't work. So yeah. there was like, the, yeah. And the company that, um, the company that did the mold inspection, um, uh, found some mold in the house that would need to be remediated. And this was like, this was where I was like, I am, I am done with this because it was, it was at a level where it said that it's not really a level that needs to be remediated, but we recommend this $40,000 remediation yeah. for yeah. the entire house yeah. and stuff like that, where it was, because uh, the, the first floor of this house is, uh, is finished square footage but it's not counted in the square footage because it's, um, it's like below the, uh, it's, it's in a flood plant flood zone. Mm -hmm. So the first floor is in the flood zone. Okay. And then also it's, um, it's, it's on pilings. So all of this square footage is below, is like below the pilings. Okay. So we didn't even include it. And so that's what they were saying. There might be some, uh, some mold that needs to be remediated in there. And I was like, look, we pulled off all the sheetrock did everything. They're recommending like 40, $50,000 worth of mold remediation of something that is saying that, um, it's at a level that's below, like well below the requirement, but we recommend this. And right. I was like, this woman is getting shaken down for another $40,000. And now she wants yeah. me to pay for it. That's, yeah. that was like the last straw for me. So yeah. I read okay. that report and just went, if I got two other people that I know to go in there and do the same inspection, yeah. it would pass with flying colors. So Dude, I've had that. I've, I've done mold. I've done mold inspections where one person comes out, same things that, you know, that we found traces, we recommend remediation. Another company comes out and says, you're good. This doesn't need anything. Like, so yeah, I, I, I hear you.
Yeah. So that's, that was the, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back specifically. So I do remember that, but there was all these things just, it was constantly be, well, I'm not sure I'm going to do this. And then, oh, I also need to do this and let's move the inspection date. And you know, you know, when that buyer's just like kicking the can down the road and now we're getting into like June and we're about to get in July and August and the kids are back yeah. in school. And this is a house that needs eyeballs on it in the summer. It's like the perfect time to be there. You're on the water, that's kind of stuff. So that's, totally. uh, that was it. So we canceled that contract and then put it back on the market. And to make a long story short, this house sat on the market now for like another six, seven months, like through the summer, through yeah. Christmas, like one showing a month, one showing every other week. I thought, I thought it was a gold mine. I thought we would just get, cancel that contract, get it, back, get it back under contract as quick as possible. And yeah. that didn't happen. And so a lot of you guys know when you take a house off the market and put it back on, people start going, well, what happened? What's wrong? But right. you're also in a high-end market here in an area that has, like I said, has a median home price like 150000 So you don't have a lot of eyeballs on this house anyway. So right. a lot of times in that, that first buyer that comes through sometimes is your best buyer and yeah. your best opportunity. This one clearly wasn't. And it's funny because it was like nine months later, and this buyer came back to the table as we were dropping the price. She really? wanted to buy it again. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, I will lose money before I go down that road again. Yeah, and I yeah. thought about it though. I really thought about it. And I even yeah. got on a call with her and the realtors. And I said, hey, let's, uh, let's talk about it and see if anything's changed. And I could tell it was the same thing. So we just said no. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so it sat on the market for like another nine months. Let's see. Um, so that, yeah, almost like... Uh, I got it under, so I, we put it under contract for 625 in the summer mm -hmm. and then January in the, the early January, then this next buyer came along and put it under contract at 525,000. So wow, $100,000 $100, yeah. less than what we listed it for in the beginning. Wow. That's your profit basically. Oh, it's my profit. I did the math on this house and uh, I, we'll skip ahead a little bit, but we made $10,000 on this house. Okay. Like when I did all the numbers, the net figure was $10,000 and it does not include any of my time, any of my, any of the company money. Right. So there was company money in this house too, that, um, or lenders money. So like if there's any unsecured money, so we lost money on this house for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, okay. wasn't a lot, but we definitely lost money on this house. Well, good news. You got this problem out of your life. You sold it for five twenty five. dollars uh, What, what happened? Uh, anything? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so this was, this was in January of 2018. We sold this house for 525,000 closed, move on. And we just kept, we just went on with our, our the business. Right. So yeah. that year in 2017, we did like 135 deals. We did over a million. We're in a couple markets. I'm living in Nashville. Um, everything's going. James was like done having his surgeries and everything like that. And so now I'm at a point where we're starting to grow the company. We're going into multiple markets, all this stuff. And keep in mind, I'm going to point this out because it's going to be important later. We did a WDO inspection with the first buyer. So even before we got the first buyer, I did a WDO inspection. So at that point, I was having problems with WDO. Well, uh, so wood destroying help me with organism. WDO. Yeah, sorry. Wood destroying organism, termite, wood rot, okay. that kind of stuff. Um, so I was having problems on some of the houses where we, we would renovate the whole house, then we would list it, then we'd get under contract, and they'd do the WDO on it, and we would get beat up, and we'd have to pull things out and, and it would cost us more money to fix it then. So what we started doing at that time, the, I'm talking about when I first sold the house in 2017, like yeah. first got under contract, we did a WDO inspection on the house before we listed it. So like on my own, I paid for it, we got it, and we did all the repairs that were required on that inspection before we even listed it. So like a pre-listing inspection. Okay. 
And then when that first buyer that didn't work out, she got a WDO inspection on it. And as you know, a different inspector finds a little bit different things. Yeah. And all the siding is wood. Um, the deck is wood. The pilings are all wood. So all that stuff. So we fixed all of that stuff for her at that point. So we had already fixed it all before she canceled her contract. So two WDO inspections, two fully remediated WDO inspections done. Now this third, the second buyer comes along for 525. We do another WDO inspection and we fix all of that stuff. So three of those. So wow. I think this is going to be important. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. so, so now this buyer comes in for 525, buys the house, closes. We did a couple repairs and things. The general contractor that was working with me before wasn't working with me anymore a year later. So I had a project manager in-house. So he okay. helped me with some of, the, uh, some of the repairs and things like that. And so I thought all was good. Um, and uh, then it was like, I don't know, a year and a half later, I got a letter saying uh, from an attorney uh, citing this property saying that okay. I failed to disclose uh, wood rot and damage to the house and that uh, they, they, want, they wanted money for me to take care of any, uh, let's see, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Any uh, like pain or suffering that was happening yeah. from the sellers okay. Okay. and they wanted $20,000. So it was just a letter that I got saying a demand letter for $20,000 or we're going to sue you. So, wow. and I, this first time I've ever seen anything like this, I was like, what is this real? Like, what is this? Um, yeah, I've I, I never, saw this house like two years ago. I've never seen anything like that before. And it, it's funny, you know, like you said, you did three of these WDOs and which, you know, looks for that kind of thing. And now they're coming back saying they want $20,000 for what? What was the $20,000 going to do? Pay for something or was it just go away? Yeah. Like, so, so we weren't sure yet. Okay. Right. Okay. So at this point, they, all they said was failure to disclose um, pertinent information on the sales contract and the seller's disclosures. So as far as you're so, concerned, this is just punitive. It's just like, Hey, we're, we think you did something wrong. We're mad. Give us money. Yeah, basically. exactly. So okay. I'm getting, it felt like a shakedown, total shakedown, yeah. right? 20 Sounds grand, we'll yeah. go away. Like you can, uh, but you didn't disclose. And it's funny because this was shortly after I bought my house in Nashville. So I had moved into my house in Nashville and um, I went through the same thing. I had a, an area of floor. So my, I, I bought the house sight unseen in Nashville. My aunt went to the house and she, I said, can you just go to the house? It was right down the street from her house. And can you look around? Like I found a house online, looked at the pictures, put in an offer and we're going to move there in 10 days. I did a 10 day close <laughs> cash purchase. Like just give me the house. My aunt walked through. She said, it looks good. I said, can you specifically look at the hardwood floors? Because I looked at a couple other houses in that area when we were there last time, and they had some damage around the doorways from water intrusion from the hardwood floors. She said, I looked at them. They looked, she's like, there's a little bit right by the door. It does, it's not that big of a deal. A little bit older house. I said, I said, all right, fine. And so we got to the house and my wife is in tears. She got there like 10 minutes before me. She's in tears. And she's, she's like, the, the paint on the walls are, are horrible. And the floor, it's like the floor is, the floorboards are coming up like the, it's this glue down engineered hardwood floor, guys, is coming up off the floor. She's like, it's, she's, I, she's like, I can't live here. It's dirty. It's nasty. It's disgusting. I said, go to, go to my Aunt Irene's house. I'm going to check it out. I get in there. Sure enough, you cannot even push the chair in on the hardwood floor. Wow. It, there's an inch of uh, the boards of all the hardwood floor are about an inch off. And I call my aunt. I'm like, you walk through this house for me. Like, what, what is going on here? Aunt, she aunt said, Irene, what is happening? Yeah, she said, <laughs> I, she, said, she said, where is that? I walked through the entire house. I looked at every single piece of that floor. 
And I said, it's in the, in the dining room, right in the middle of the floor. She goes, they had all their boxes in that piled in that one area as they were, pa- they're packed up. There was a couple things like a, a rug and a bunch of boxes right there. I couldn't see it. Wow. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And so I look at the disclosure, sure enough, like it's not on there. And I said, you know what? what are my options here? I'm going to sue these people for failure to disclose. I'm going to ask them for more money. I got a really good price on the house. I paid cash. I made them, I don't not a low offer, but significantly low below market value. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to fix this. Like I'll take care of it. We'll clean it up. I got somebody to paint the house. I ripped the floors up and we put down new floors in that area. And when I ripped them up, their initials were on the concrete uh, um, foundation with a heart and the family's initials all over there. It's very obvious that they were trying to fix this. They broke, it was like somebody used Elmer's glue, wood glue to glue it down. It was very clear wow. that they didn't disclose that to me, right? Yeah. So I had just, I was like, you know what? Like, this is very interesting that somebody's like suing me for failure to disclose when I just did the right thing. Well, I don't know if it's the right thing, but I just took care of it. Like I, it would cost yeah. me like $3,000 to fix the floors. And yeah. I just did it. Like I'm not going to lawyer up and do all that stuff. So. I don't know. It felt like somebody was, I don't know. It was the opposite of what I would do, which really rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. So, um, so I got the letter, I reached out to my attorney and I said, Hey, do you do these cases? And she's like, no, but I'll recommend somebody to you down in Pensacola. And so I got with uh, this other attorney and we started getting more information. We asked them to send us some things and some proof and what they needed. So what they were claiming is that I knew about a bunch of wood rot around the windows and so there was all this damage around all the windows of the house. This, this uh, house is on, on the bay. Salt water is a big factor there, right? Um, hurricanes have come and gone a couple times in Pensacola. 2005, we had a big one, um, uh, Hurricane Ivan. And so what happened was we had actually fixed, they found wood rot around one of the windows during the, one of the WDO inspections. And we had ripped off all the siding. We put it in a whole new, uh, all new wood all around there. Um, we reframed the window. And we did it all. We did it all right. We had scaffolding next to the house that we had to do. And when we had that scaffolding up and we were fixing that window that was found on the pre WDO inspection, mm-hmm. my realtor came by on her boat and took a bunch of pictures. So on Zillow, there were pictures of this house with scaffolding up on the side of the house <sighs> around the window and yeah. some, some trim removed around the window that were up on Zillow. So that was their evidence that they were putting in play saying that we knew all about the WD or the, um, some wood damage, yeah. wood rot around the window. And, and they also had pictures of all the, um, all the wood rot around the windows that they, um, that they had found over time. So they pulled it off and they had all the, all the pictures about that. And so, and there's damage. Like I'm not discounting the fact that there wasn't damage. What I will say is that if we had known about it, we would have fixed it. Right. I mean, and the so, Zillow okay. pictures, the Zillow pictures, though, almost prove your point that when it was pointed out and it was found to be an issue, you fixed it. Like, so, <laughs> so what they were claiming is that we were doing work all around there and we covered it all back up. Oh, okay. Like we, we did work, right. they're scaffolding, you can see that they, they knew it, they had to know about it, they're removing trim. And so, so for me, I, I, t- I said, okay, well, let's take the pictures, like show me the picture of the window that the scaffolding is around and show me a picture of what that looked like when you pulled yeah, everything off. Right. And you can see all the new wood all around that window. But again, it's like the, the deal with this stuff is, is not about whether you're right or wrong. It's about what you can prove in a right. court. And so I'm starting to learn a lot more about that process. 
So the attorney is basically saying like, okay, first of all, their attorney is ruthless. So that's the first message that I get is he's like, she will just go after people and go after people and go after people that she doesn't care. Like she just wants to shake you down, take you to court, run you out of like, he's like, how much money do you have? How much money are you willing to put into this? And so now we're starting to talk about that. And I said, I said, you know what? Like I have no desire to pay a bunch of money to do this, but I'm also not going to to claim, I'm not just going to say that I, that I did that. I'm not going to say that I didn't disclose because if I knew about it, we would have fixed it. And what, where I was really upset at this point is that if they had just called me, like the sellers had just called us and told us about this, we would have helped them fix it. Like we, we would have found a solution here, like a win-win, but they didn't, they wrote a letter, they got an attorney, they wrote a letter, they, they demanded $20,000 and it was already done. Like they had already repaired everything. They'd already fixed it all. And like had, had there been that issue ahead of time and they told us about it and we knew about it, we would have worked together to figure out how to solve the problem. And I, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know that we would have paid for all of it, but I surely wouldn't have gotten an attorney and said, this is not my problem and lawyered up, you know? So right. I feel like at, at that point, like I was, I was made out to be the big bad person. Like I was the, I was the bad guy. And we're the house flippers that uh, like yeah. covered everything up and did things really shady and instead of kind of getting to know us and just reaching out and, and talking because yeah. we would have we taken so, care of it. And I could have got it done probably for a third of the cost, maybe totally. 25% of the cost. Yeah. All right. So let's recap this. You, okay. So you sold the house at a huge discount from what you originally wanted. Couple year and a half later, you get this letter from their lawyer saying, we want $20,000. You didn't disclose. You knew about this wood rot. They pull out these pictures of Zillow and claim that you were doing work and hiding things and all that. Okay. So now you're at this point where you have a choice. You can pay them $20,000 to, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, go away, which feels like a shakedown. But in doing so, you will in effect be admitting that you knew about it and now you're paying her to not sue you because you did something. This is how I think that you're probably looking at it. Like if I give them this $20,000, I'm saying I knew about it and you got me, here's $20,000, I'll pay you and just go away. Or what? What's, what, are, what are your other options here at this point? I mean, it feels like that's your option, but again, it, it does sort of, you're admitting, you, you would be admitting at that point you knew about it and that sort of sucks, right? So what do you do from this point? So at that point, I can pay the $20,000 and walk away, um, mm-hmm. which my attorney basically said, like, you're not admitting that you did anything wrong. Yeah. Like, you can give them, they can give you some, something in writing saying, nobody will ever have to know about this, all that stuff. And I said, but I don't think you get it. Like, I, I do feel like I'm admitting that I did something wrong. Like, I'm saying, yeah. okay, yeah, here's $20,000, go away. Like, no, I, I have no interest in doing that. The right. second one was, uh, we, the, the next step in following the, uh, Florida Association of Realtors contract, which is go to mediation. So now we have to offer up mediation. And then after that, it's go to court, you know, and uh, either have a, and typically you have a, a jury there that's yeah. going to decide what happens, right? And so now I'm kind of weighing the, okay, we go to mediation. I don't know what that looks like. That's, uh, I, I, I have a license in Florida. So I understand the concept of mediation, all that stuff, but it's not something that I've ever done or ha- had to go through, or, and I didn't know too many people who had either. So, so that was the next step for us. Go to, I decided to go to mediation, and then I know I have to pay for my attorney. They have to pay for their attorney, and then we have an attorney that is there also as the mediator, so we split their attorney, that attorney. What, so what, did your, what was your like, attorney? Well, I, I understand. What was your attorney telling you to do? Was he, er, he or she urging you just to pay him the $20,000 and be done? 
Uh, he didn't really like push one way or the other. He was kind of just giving me the facts and letting me okay. decide. He did give me like some recommendations. And it, it wasn't the fact that we just had to pay $20,000. We could have gone back and negotiated and said, we'll pay 10 or we'll pay yeah. five or that's ridiculous and, and go back and forth and try to negotiate that outside of mediation. That's, yeah. That was another step that we could have taken. But I basically was already over that. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like yeah. at this like, look, I... If there's, if there's one problem that I have, it's the fact that I am really stubborn when it comes to ethics and morality and stuff. Yeah. And so uh, I just, it just wasn't something I was, I wasn't going to give him $10 right. at that point. And right. so he was, he was telling me, you know, all this, all the problems, all the issues, all the things that could come up. And he said like, he's like, I don't know how much money they have. I don't, but you can probably tell me how much money you have. Like how, how much do you want to fight this and how long is it going to take? And we can do it and all this stuff. And yeah. um, I basically just said, I said, look, I said, I'm, I'm not giving them money. Um, it's definitely not in, in, until we have a conversation and we talk about it and we try to figure out like a solution here. But right. I just feel like this is a shakedown and I don't like being shaken down. I, I, I don't need to be right, but I need to be heard. And so that's sometimes yeah. the, some of the problem that with me, like I'm a little bit stubborn when it comes to that. And I think, uh, you know, I, I posted inside of the seven figure altitude group at this point And I said, Hey, you know, what do you guys, here's what's going on in my life. What do you guys think? And I, it was interesting. Some people were just like, pay the money and move on. And some people were like, that's crazy. Like go to court, fight it. It sounds like you're right. That's kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I know, I know what really happened. I know the truth. I know the fact that we didn't like, we disclosed everything that we knew about. And if we had found that we would have fixed it. I know that like yeah. in my heart of hearts, but yeah. when it comes to this system, it's really hard to prove that stuff. And then the question became, the question that my attorney threw out to me that scared me the most was he said, should you have known about it? And I said, whoa, okay, that's a different question. Right. Maybe, like, he's like, did any of the people that were working on the house know about it? And I was like, I don't know. Um, I, I honestly don't know. Like, nobody told me about it. They may have seen it and said, well, I'm not just, like, is there somebody, right. like, they're going to start deposing people. They're going to start, like, you don't know the answer. Like, so I started yeah. telling the story. And so I got to this point of like, man, like, I, I don't know what this looks like. Like, I don't think that anybody knows, but right. it may not have just not have gotten back to me, you know? So yeah. the, the, that's the challenge when it comes to this stuff is as the business owner, I'm representing the whole organization. So, and a lot of people were like, what's the best for your business? Like do the best thing for your business. And sometimes my pride gets in the way of that. And in this case, I don't know the way that it turned out. We'll see when we get to the end of the story, but um, yeah. I feel really proud about how I handled it at least. So at that point yeah. I just said, look, I'm, uh, let's, let's figure out what this mediation things looks, looks like. And let's, let's start working on that. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of stuck in a, in a weird quandary. Right. And I, I know you, you know, so I, I understand that integrity and ethics is the most important thing. Right. So you have this opportunity is to pay the money, maybe negotiate it down or, um, you know, maybe go to court is another option, obviously. Um, but you know, the fact that I think most people would just do the least amount of money to get out of the situation. Probably a lot of people would do that. Right. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but when it comes to like, how, because again, even if nobody knew, like, you know, right, you know, that you ultimately did something that feels like an admission of guilt, even if according to the law, it's not feels like an admission of guilt. Right. So, so let's, let's talk about what went from that point, because I do know how this ends and, in, and it's an extremely unusual um, 
solution, in my opinion. It's not not common. I don't think at all. It's nothing I've ever done. Um, but I, I do think you should be proud of the way it ended up. So let's let's continue with the story. What you're at this point now. You have to decide how you're going to move forward. How does that look? And by the way, what are the the seller or not the sellers? The the buyers, the people who bought the property, living there. Are they like, let's go to court, we're going to burn this guy? Or are they just like, you know, do you have any, any sense of what their feeling was as you were kind of going down this road? All right. We had to cut it there. So when I brought Mike Simmons on to interview me on the podcast, I said, hey, man, we got to keep this to like 45 minutes, hour max. And we ended up talking for over an hour and a half. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut this into two parts. So this first one is kind of the background leading up to what's going to happen legally with this house and everything like that. And then we're going to roll the next half of this episode to next week and uh, roll it out just in a couple of days for you guys. So um, we'll leave you with a little bit of a cliffhanger wondering what's going on with this house. What happened? Oh no. Like what's going to go on. So it's uh, it's an exciting story. I hope you guys tune in for the next one, but I wanted to make sure that we could, you know, clip this into bite-sized pieces for you and not uh, be an hour and a half, two hours on the podcast. So, um, hey, we got something really exciting coming up that Mike and I talked about at the end of this interview, but this is a virtual event that we're doing here on July 10th and the 11th. So by the time that you hear the full episode, everything that we talk about at the end, um, we will have uh, rolled it out for you guys, but it's really exciting. I can't wait for it. It's going to be like a little um, flip hacking live uh, over two days, so a Friday and a Saturday, and we're gonna bring some of the speakers from Flip Hacking Live to you because I know that we need this right now. Like we need some tactics, we need some techniques. We're kind of coming out of quarantine. We're starting to figure out what this is. And um, you guys will find out, but it's 100% free. So we considered charging for this, but we decided not to. We really wanted to open this up to as many people as possible to come in to find out what Seven Figure Flipping is all about, what Flip Hacking Live is, and what kind of presentations we can give you and add value to your business and your company three months prior to our event in October. So like, how can we lead up to this? How can we come out of this quarantine strong and roll into the kind of uh, summer and fall seasons of, uh, of flipping and wholesaling that we see as being some of our top, like most valuable times in our business. So two days we're going to spend together. We're going to give presentations. We're going to have this uh, virtual experience that we're putting together. It's going to be absolutely amazing. So uh, if you're not already subscribe, subscribe to our email list, go to sevenfigureflipping.com slash subscribe, and then you can get alerted about when we launch this and it'll be on our social media channels and stuff like that too. So hope to see you guys there. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. This is the first time we've ever done anything like this where somebody come on, has come on to interview me. And uh, I had a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to rolling the second half out to you guys. All right. Have a great day. I'll see you in a couple of days on the next podcast. Bye. Hey, it's Bill again, and I want to personally invite you to our biggest event of the year, Flip Hacking Live. If you could copy the exact deal sources, marketing strategies, negotiation tactics, and business systems of the most successful house flippers and wholesalers in the nation, how would that change your business? Flip Hacking Live is a three-day event that we do just once per year, and it's happening October 15th through the 17th in Orlando, Florida. We bring in the nation's top wholesalers and house flippers to walk you through everything they're doing how they're marketing directly to sellers, how they're picking up discounted off-market properties, how they're doubling their close ratio with the right negotiation tactics, how they're raising millions of dollars in private money, the things they're doing that other investors aren't doing, all of it. These are the guys and gals who are actively doing deals at a high volume in today's market all across the country. You get their full attention for three days. They have agreed to hold nothing back and you'll be right there with them so you can ask questions and get clarification on anything that you need. This is your chance to hack the nation's top flippers and wholesalers and ethically steal their exact strategies and systems. All you have to do is take notes, 
ask questions, and apply what you learn. But first, you need to get a ticket. We've sold out every year and ticket prices go up every few months. So go to fliphackinglive.com right now and get your tickets today. Fliphackinglive.com, October 15th through the 17th in Orlando, Florida. This is an event that you cannot afford to miss.